In recovery, there are walls that can keep us from living out the purpose and and walking in the freedom that keep us stuck. How do we break down the walls that lead to everlasting life and true heart change, life change in Christ? Today, we're going to talk about that. Welcome to the Celebrate Recovery official podcast, a podcast that shares life change stories, courage, hope, and leadership wisdom centered around the Celebrate Recovery principles from the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus is telling us how to live in happiness and blessing in spite of our circumstances as we face our hurts, our hangups and habits, and broken relationships so that we can live uh, out the healthy truths and healthy practices as we repair those relationships in our life. I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ. Uh, I struggle with drugs and alcohol and perfectionism. My name is Rodney. I'm the Global Field Director with Celebrate Recovery. And welcome. Thanks for joining us again today. I'm excited about today's topic. Um, extra excited. I got a brother in Christ that I love dearly. Uh, Ken Hafner is a South Central Regional Director uh, with Celebrate Recovery. And, and more than that, we're friends and brothers in Christ. Uh, Ken, welcome, brother. Hey, thanks for having me today, Rodney. And I am a grateful believer that struggles with alcoholism addiction. And I, my name is Ken. Hey, Ken. So glad you're here, brother. Appreciate you. Uh, you're a home celebrate recoveries in High Point uh, Church in Sl- Splendora, Texas. I've been there and it's an amazing group. And I just love, love the people there. Always enjoy uh, being around them there, but uh, so Ken, we're talking about breaking down the walls, man, and and I just want kind of, maybe we can kind of start this off just with kind of lead in with this question, um, Ken. Were you? Let me ask you, how long have you been in recovery now, Ken? I've uh, been in recovery for in I've been in recovery for over twenty seven years. I'll celebrate twenty seven years sober and clean in July. Nice. Nice. That's a lot of experience. I'm excited to have this conversation. I know I will learn a lot from you today. But so, Ken, as you think back on your first experience, were you ready for recovery when you walked through the doors for the first time? You know, it's a it's a great question. So the answer, the real simple answer to that is no. <laughs> I didn't want to be there at all. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, and I guess to kind of go into detail, more detail about that, I, you know, I came in after a suicide attempt, uh, and my life was an absolute train wreck from years and years of substance abuse and drinking and lots of other things. And we could go into that for hours and hours, but from the standpoint of walking in the door, I got out of a hospital after my suicide attempt and really the only place that I had to go that I felt was going to help at all really was going into recovery rooms hmm. and I had no idea what to expect. And I really wasn't prepared to be there because I wasn't prepared to do the work. I can, I can guarantee that. Hmm. Um, and, you know, I guess from a, a denial perspective, I knew I had problems but I was so used to fixing my problems myself, managing my problems, that I was living in a, a state of mind that wasn't really conducive for recovery. Uh, and so the recovery meetings themselves, initially, I didn't think they would work. 
Mm. Um, and I, and because I had this way of thinking and I'd listened, I remember the, my very first meeting, I remember the first meeting I went to and I was listening to the people sharing during the group. And I thought they have no idea what kind of problems I've got. <laughs> this all sounds great, but I'm not where any of these people are. And I don't know how this is going to possibly help me. I think we're going to sing Kumbaya here in a minute. <laughs> and, and I was hurting so bad and I was trapped in my own way of thinking that it was a struggle for me just sitting through that first meeting, but it was like the last place on the block for me. Mm. Um, and that's what kept me there initially was it was the one place that I could go. Wow. Uh, so no, I mean, to answer the long version of that is no, I wasn't ready to, wasn't ready to be there. Yeah. I love your transparency there and man, what a rough, uh, rough go, um, to kind of be in that really desperate place and just looking for something and anything, uh, but not sure what that was and, and if this would even work, but, but what kept you there, Ken, you know, we, you're in the door, you know, you're not completely ready for recovery when you walk in the door, but what kept you in that process to, to keep going the 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 first meeting that i went to um after sitting through that and being really skeptical skeptical and not open-minded in a lot of ways but you know feeling well judging that this was where i was going to be i remember talking to one guy and his name was rob and i won't you know keep his anonymity but he sat down and talked with me probably for about an hour and a half after the meeting and talked about a lot of different aspects of recovery. And it was really a pretty simple meeting, that first meeting. But, and I wasn't totally, um, I'd be much more transparent with y'all than I was with Rob on that first meeting. I just was talking about hurting and that I'd hurt people and that my life was a train wreck. But he spent that hour and a half with me hmm. kind of sitting in the mud. And if nothing else, it gave me the, you know, the desire that, okay, this is a place that I can come and I'm not going to be judged. And so it felt safe in the sense of, okay, my anonymity is sort of protected. I don't know any of these people. Um, everybody in my life knew everything that was going on in my world. I mean, it was pretty much an open book because of the way I came in. So having somebody that I could talk to that wasn't a family member, that wasn't a person that knew all my mistakes, wasn't a person that was just already angry at me. Because hmm. he wasn't, he wasn't angry at me. He genuinely looked like he wanted to help me. I didn't know if he could or not, <laughs> but I respected that. You know, I had a, found some respect in that he was willing to spend the time with me, which I don't know anybody else that wanted to spend an hour and a half with me, other than a counselor. Hmm. Wow, well, I love that picture. It is such a good reminder for us that have been in recovery a while and I know you've been serving for many years now as well, but it's just a great reminder that sometimes that just being present and sitting with us in the mud, I love that picture of the mud, you were stuck in the mud and just that picture of um, someone was willing to get in the mud with you and just sit with you. What a beautiful picture that is. Yeah. Well, and you know, it kind of goes from there. So I mean, I kept attending meetings, and I remember reading, well, where I went, I read the steps on the wall and I realized, okay, 
one, two, three, I can do four is not going to happen. Five is not going to happen. Six and seven, probably we'll see where we get. Eight and nine aren't going to happen. I mean, I had this whole pre, you know, I'd made up my mind about the things that I was willing to do and unwilling to do. And so for the first seven months of my recovery, um, I read the steps and I read the, you know, the process of recovery, but I didn't really incorporate much of it into my walk. Hmm. Um, it was really like a learning process without any application. Wow. And in that time, I, I, I actually found my first sponsor, Rob. I mean, the, fir- the first guy I met was kind of a temporary, you know, he, he sat in the mud with me and then I'd been listening to one of the guys in the meeting over a period of time that had a similar, some similarities in our background. And I liked the, what he was saying. I didn't know if it worked for me or not, but I, I liked the way he presented. Mm. And so when I relapsed at seven months, cause I'd been reading them, but not practicing them, uh, the steps, he's the first person I went back to mm. and it's for, to be my sponsor. And the, the denial, the stepping out of the denial part, uh, there, I mean, there's kind of several levels of stepping out of denial that I see in myself and I've seen in others that go into the first meeting, some form of stepping out of denial, mm-hmm. even if you're told to go. I mean, you don't get told to go to things unless there's a problem. Mm-hmm. And even if you don't, even if you don't accept the problem, which I did accept the problem, you know, that, that first walking in the door is so hard. Yeah. Getting into recovery from the door is was the next big leap for me. Hmm. And listening to my sponsor, he let me share my story. And when I started doing the work and I got to that fourth step-ish kind of place, not fully disclosing, but at least being more transparent about what was going on, he was sharing a lot of recovery principles with me that I wasn't sure I was buying into. I mean, I, I heard the words and it sounded like really good, but it didn't know that it would work for me. And I, I told him just point blank. I said, yeah, this is, you're sharing really great stuff, but I feel like you're kind of brainwashing me into accepting this. And he said, Ken, I've listened to your story and I don't know all of it, but your brain could use some washing. <laughs> And that took me down a, a, a road of self-reflection with him. And yeah. he, he pointed out some of the inconsistencies in what I was talking about as far as managing things, that it didn't look like I was managing things all that well. Yeah. And I really didn't have a grasp of what powerless was. And so he got me through that first step. And that really was the place where I let down some more of my guard. And so you know, I have this kind of, I like to describe it as the educational variety of getting out of denial, which is I have to kind of be shown Mm. and sometimes just handheld through it. Mm. But yeah. And he did say one thing to me that really helped me more than just about anything, because it may have just fed into the way I think he said, you know, um, if, if you will actually just start doing the little things, you'll start experiencing greater things, mm. you know? And so that intellectual honesty that he made me present, uh, accept was never forced on me. And so he started showing me the places where powerlessness existed in my life. And that led me to the place that I could see that there, maybe there was something greater than me. Mm. 
That's great. That I could start to rely on. And when I started relying on God, things started changing dramatically, hmm. especially because the trust between me and my sponsor started growing. The trust between me and God started growing as a result of that. And so God uses all sorts of people. At least for me, he's used all sorts of people. Rodney's one of those people, as a matter of fact, <laughs> you know, that helps break down the way I think because I was raised in a pretty dysfunctional home. I mean, and I won't go into any detail about it, but being raised that way, I developed all these ways of thinking and these protection mechanisms that, and walls and barriers and all sorts of things that protected me as a child and as a teenager that I was using as an adult. Mm. And they, they were the wrong tool for the current problem. And that helped me break down my way of thinking anyway. Yeah, um, that's great. Well, good, good stuff. I want to take a, a quick break right here, Ken, and, and we'll continue that. Uh, I love that. Just kind of understanding those protections. Uh, and by the way, if you're hearing kind of that, that sound effect, that's not uh, um, uh, special effects that we're trying to throw in. There's traffic. I know your, your office is right there on a road. So occasionally you'll hear some vehicles going by. It can kind of sound like a horror film sometimes, but we're not adding that for suspense or drama. I promise you, but I just want to let our listeners know, but, uh, Ken, good, good stuff, man. Let's take a, a quick break right here. And, uh, when we come back, uh, we're going to continue with Ken Hafner, the, uh, South Central Regional Director of Celebrate Recovery and a uh, great man, lots of wisdom. And uh, we'll continue this great conversation when we come back. Stick with us. Hey, folks, maybe you've established the foundation through the online seven keys training. And now you're ready to go to the next level and, and build on that foundation through the in-person training conferences. Whether you're just getting started or you want to go deeper through the advanced training, go to crconferences.com. We'd love to be with you on this journey. Come see us, whether online or in person. Invest in yourself and your leaders. crconferences.com. Welcome back. Talking with Ken Hafner, the South Central Regional Director of Celebrate Recovery. And Ken, right before we went to break, you were talking about those protections, you know, growing up in a dysfunctional home and and those protections that we can uh, establish and learn that can be carried over into adulthood. And it got me to thinking just about as we're talking about breaking down these walls, sometimes we do get comfortable. Those protections become comforts right to, there we get comfortable with those walls uh in our in our recovery what's that look like in in the comfort getting comfortable with those walls for you ken well for, you know, when i think about the way i was raised and the the protection mechanisms that i put in just yeah, they're really just emotional and really kind of psychological protections that i think everybody does and but on a personal level um, one of the things that I found worked really well for me was to not share things with people, to not be transparent. Mm. Um, you know, if you're hiding something or you're struggling with something, keeping it to yourself was one of the things that I did because I can put on a really good face, even if things are falling apart around me. And I've done, had done that for years and years, but I, w I wouldn't share that with people. And mm. so, that protection was, okay, well, 
I'm going to be self-reliant, which on paper looks really good. It's, you know, self-determinant, in control, you know, measured response, be quiet, keep your mouth shut, you know. But in the reality, it doesn't allow anybody else into your world. And what you're, what I was left with, and we'll put it on first person, what I was left with, the only thing that I could use as a tool was my own intellect. And I'm, I have come to the understanding that I am wrong a lot of the time, mm. but that's not the way I thought initially. And so struggling through realizing that there may be a better way than what I do is one of the things that allowed me to break down that first wall. And that first wall was just saying, I've got a problem Hmm. or this is what I'm hurting about, or this is what I'm struggling with or, yeah. And you know, kind of advanced thinking is asking someone, Hey, this is what I'm thinking of doing. What do you think? (laughs) Yeah. I love that. Most novel thing in my world was asking somebody else for advice. I mean, we haven't even gotten to praying yet or asking God into it. Mm. You know, that wasn't a wall that I even, you know, I kind of thought he was there, but he wasn't doing a whole lot. Mm. You know, I wasn't agnostic, but I didn't see him interacting in my world very much. And once I started praying, gosh, some of those protections disappeared because suddenly he started putting people in my life that were asking questions about, that's an interesting way to think, Ken. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love that. I love that. Yeah. So those, those, that self-sufficient, self-reliant, self-protectant, right? Those things that, you know, and even that kind of, I shouldn't be thinking this, I shouldn't be doing this, you know, um, I won't, (laughs) that I shouldn't even talk about this because, you know, that narrative that you talked about that pull yourself up by the bootstraps, that's celebrated by the world. So it is a little bit upside down when you come in. It's like, wait, this is feels upside down to everything I've learned in the world. And that can be confusing, can it? Yeah, I, I know. And for me, it kind of manifests itself. There's a few, there's a few catchphrases that when I find myself saying them, I realize that they're, I may be going in the wrong track. And one of those just catchphrases is I know. <laughs> oh yeah, I know. I know. Uh-huh. I know. I know. I, I know. And, and cause it, it's a statement that says, okay, I'm not asking for your advice. I'm not asking for your input. And you know, that keeps me in that, that I know keeps me from hearing other points of view. It keeps me from hearing another way of doing things. And it actually puts a, it kind of puts a stop sign in front of people's face that says, uh, that's great. I'm, I'm not allowing you into this area. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And if you already know, why, why did you come to me, you know, looking to have a conversation? It's like, why are you wasting my time? <laughs> it's, 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 and it's, it's really, for me, it was very pervasive because mm-hmm. if you, when you know everything, which I didn't, but I thought I did when you know everything, it's a barrier to getting any new information in. And for recovery, gosh, recovery is all about new information. Yeah. It's about seeing, you know, stepping out of denial for me was, okay, I'm going to take off the glasses that I wear to look at the world and I'm going to try and see them through 
initially a recovery lens, but ultimately through what God's vision is for me. Yeah. What God's vision is for my recovery. You know, I really chuckle today that I get to do what I'm doing in ministry and in recovery. And it's not because I know anything great. It's because God knows me Mm. and he's allowed me to be a part of other people's lives. And I don't know. Um, I get to know, I get to learn more. I get to see more revealed in myself and in others. And, you know, even today there are concepts that I have in my head that I think are right. Mm. And periodically someone will bring some to my attention. It's like, you know, I have never considered that direction on it. Yeah. And that revelation in itself is they're kind of fun. They're a little scary. (laughs) I mean, like early recovery is real scary. New revelations about wrong thinking is another one that breaks down walls. Um, it, it required me to start looking at things almost 90 degrees, you know, 180 degrees out from what I looked at before. And, uh, that's just, it's opened up so many more doors that when you're only focused on the one direction, which is the, what Ken thinks, I can't see all those other ones. My tunnel vision is is focused towards the way I want to do it. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, I don't like living in denial today. I'm not saying I love revelation, <laughs> <laughs> but I don't like living in denial today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, nobody, nobody likes revelation, especially if it brings pain. Right. I mean, you know, we've said this exactly. before, but you know, reality is, is what is. And, um, you know, pain is what happens when we bump into reality. <laughs> It's like, oh, okay. I didn't know that was there. That that's a revelation that kind of stings a little bit. So, um, so Ken, what did it look like for you, man? When uh, you're just talking about those walls, you got walls up. You're picking out the steps that you will do, you won't do, and and you start to kind of maybe embrace this process. What did uh, what did the process of breaking down those walls look like? What were some of the fruit that you saw as you began to walk through this with a different different mindset? I've experienced so many different miracles in my recovery walk that they started almost immediately. Um, I mean, say almost. I didn't even recognize some of them when they were initially happening. But really, when I got to the fourth step of recovery. Well, actually, the third step when I recommitted my life to Christ was where I think the do- where the door opened enough for me to walk through it. <laughs> <laughs> but once I got to that place and I decided that I was willing to do the fourth step with my sponsor, almost immediately, some of the things that I had been hurting over for twenty years didn't hurt as much. Hmm. It's not that they they didn't change in any other way than I shared it with another person openly. And so there was some relief that came that I had prevented from coming just by not sharing. Hmm. And so the first miracle was the revelation of, okay, I'm not supposed to do this alone. Okay, I still didn't want to do it together, but I'm not supposed to do it alone. 
And then there was, I never received any condemnation from the people I was working with. I had questions and there were hard questions, but I was never condemned for it. And so I didn't, I stopped seeing myself as being worthless. Well, you know, that's, I think that's common for a lot of people that walk in the doors. But for me, that I didn't hate the person I was looking at in the mirror anymore. Mm. And I mean, I kind of recognized the reality of what I'd, I'd done, but I didn't hate me anymore. Mm. And the real miracles started happening as I got into those upper you know, eights and nines. There were just so many blessings, blessings from the Beatitudes. And, you know, probably one of the big ones for me was when I first got into recovery, I had this lifestyle I was living before recovery and it was drinking and partying and doing all the things that, you know, that so many, so many people probably can relate to that. I thought if I stop all those, how am I going to have any fun? How am I going to have any joy? I thought that was joyful. And I realized I've had more fun in recovery than I ever did when I was in my addiction. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's a, if there's no other great miracle than realizing that what I do today is I remember it all. I don't regret most of it. <laughs> <laughs> most of it. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm imperfect still, so yeah. I'm still growing. But, yeah. you know, I have more fun today in my recovery and out of denial and utilizing what the pain that I've been through and the hurts that I've caused and even the ones that have been caused on me have been God's utilized to help so many other people just from my garbage. So he can turn the worst of us into the best. And that has been the best blessing of miracles. It's my favorite thing in recovery today is watch people step into his grace that's awesome. and seeing lives transformed. And that's, I don't know how, I wish there was a, something that you could bottle up and you could say, if you will, and I know that there's a, the steps and the principles is that, but I wish there was a way you could convince someone of that at the get go. Yeah. Cause I had to be convinced and it's, it's, it's a, it's a lot to swallow if you've got an old way of thinking you're trying to get rid of. Yeah. So to that point, Ken, we're wrapping up here, we're winding down on our time. Somebody's listening and they're struggling. They're in that space. They've got uh, some walls up and maybe haven't even walked through the door. Maybe they're early in the process like you and they're not really sure, even though they've walked through the door, they're not quite ready. What word of encouragement would you give that person um, to keep going, to begin that process of tearing down the walls? I mean, the, 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 there, gosh, there's such simplistic things, but change is possible, and it starts in very small ways. You know, just going, you know, God's never failed to match my slightest effort with 10 times the grace and mercy. And so, you know, there's some simple slogans that you hear all the time that are kind of cliches about, you know, keep coming back. And that would be the first one is I realize when you walk in the door of recovery for the very first time, it may not feel comfortable. Matter of fact, if it does, you're probably different than most of the people I know that uh, being uncomfortable is not a bad thing. Hmm. And walking in and staying in, coming back, even look, you know, I, the, the, the best thing my sponsor ever told me, and a lot of people have said it, is that you, you can quit whenever you want and we'll refund your misery. <laughs> yeah. 
it's it's a free program. You don't have to do it, but if you will keep at it, even if it feels uncomfortable, you'll be amazed at what transformations are possible just from being obedient and attending. Mm. And I'll tell you what, the other piece of advice is say hello to someone. Yeah. Meet at least one other person that can sit in the mud with you. Mm. I love that. That's good stuff, man. Well, Ken, this time zipped by, man, but I appreciate your wisdom. Thanks for sharing your heart. I think you gave all of us, including myself and our listeners, a lot to chew on and and apply to our life and our recovery. I'm grateful for you, brother. Appreciate all you do and who you are. Thanks for having me, Rodney. I love you, my friend. Yeah, I love you too. Um, Yeah, so just want to say thank you to all of you for joining us today. We're we're so grateful. Thanks for helping us spread the word, giving us a five-star rating and, and sharing this just so we can reach more people. That makes a difference. But if you're listening right now and you're struggling and maybe you can relate and some of what Ken is sharing resonates with your heart, you want to start that process of breaking down those walls, can I just encourage you just to take the first step. Don't think about the second, the third, the fourth. Just take the first step. Get there and trust God's going to do something. We'd love for you to join us. If you'd like to find a group near you, go to CelebrateRecovery.com forward slash CR groups and find a group near you. Hey, thanks for joining us. We hope you'll join us next time. Until then, God bless.